Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports College Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Andrew Ivins, Director of Scouting here at 24-7 Sports. Cooper Patagna is out. That means we got a pinch hitter, but he is a big one. Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports. Did I get that title right, Huff? You did. You got it. You just joined me down in the Sunshine State over the weekend for Under Armour's future 50 event. It was loaded with the class of 2025. We're going to get into that on the back end of the show, but I thought, hey, why not bring in the West Coast guru uh, to talk about a pair of West Coast programs that are making a ton of noise on the recruiting trail. We are talking about Washington and Stanford, but before we get to that, Huff, man, how are you doing? It's been a crazy I don't know, a few weeks. I, I ran the math this morning, just over 200 commitments uh, in the past four days. That includes over 90 prospects that have picked Power 5 programs. It feels like the early signing period or National Signing Day. Yeah, it does. And I think we're still going to be seeing another probably 10 days or so of this madness. I know 4th of July, you and I talked the other day, like, hey, just get us to the 4th of July. You know, whenever Caleb Williams, what that was, 2020, he announced on the 4th of July, and then a year later, JT Tumolo out announced on the 4th of July. That's become kind of the target day to make a commitment. So we've got all these guys that are targeting the end of this week, July 1st, July 4th. So that number that you tweeted out today could double by this time next week. Yeah, I saw Caleb Williams uh, at the Elite 11 Finals. I should have been like, hey, man, thank you for ruining America's <laughs> holiday for us. It has turned into the recruiting uh, event, really. I mean, it's it's this is a product of the summer official visits, but the funny part is no one can sign anything <laughs> until December. Right. And, and then based on news that is coming out today, there was even talk that even if guys are signing NLIs, there may be options to get out of those NLIs. So even if they sign, we still could be covering second and third recruitments. And then we get the whole portal. So, you know, nowadays it's like the first commitment and then you got your second, your third, your fourth commitments. I mean, hey, at least it gives us something to do because, you know, there's nothing going on in June besides a billion camps, a billion official visits. And, you know, the NCAA gives these coaches all of July off except for one week. But hey, NCA, throw some love down to the uh, the recruiting websites. Give us a dead period too, or there can't be any camps for us to go to. <laughs> Easy to see why we saw so many college coaches make the jump to the NFL. I've always joked, uh, I'm ready to cover the NFL draft. <laughs> CBS Sports, if you're listening, please tab me. Uh, but Huff, let's talk about Washington. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, good friend of the show. He was a guest on the podcast. They're making some noise. Uh, we Before we hit record, the Washington Huskies had their biggest day of commitments since 2012 when Steve Sarkeesian was there. They're up to number 50 in the rankings. I know that doesn't sound you know, super notable, but the Pac-12 recruits at a different pace. So what what's in the water there in Washington? And uh, get us up to date. Yeah, and you know, let's just rewind a week. There are a couple of commits that had been longtime verbals to University of Washington, EJ Kaminong, their quarterback commitment out of Seattle. He opened his recruitment up about two weeks ago, and then Landon Bell, uh, a couple days later, he opened his recruitment up, and Landon Bell ultimately flipped to Arizona. But 
both of those guys were longtime commits and then both started to take official visits. So there was a parting of ways and Washington was down to one commitment, a commitment from pocket for now, four-star offensive lineman out of Southern California, but they had always been building towards this last weekend. A year ago, they had a few more commitments at this time, but it was their big official visit week in the end of June that started to produce a good number of their 2023 class. So you fast forward a year, they're down to one commitment, but there was always the plan that this last weekend in June was going to be that big weekend for them. And it really started off with the bang on Saturday while, you know, you and I are, are dealing with uh, the humidity and, and all the heat that was coming from Bradenton, Florida. Seattle was getting hot of its own with a couple of commitments from receivers and Jason Robinson, uh, who was one time a USC commit uh, out of Justice Williams uh, from Southern California as well. And then Sunday, Monday, it just kept picking up with more and more additions. You know, there's guys that are probably going to be announcing this week that Washington is on the top one or two or three, four. So this class might not even be done by the end of this week. And they could have double digit commitments by the time we get to July, which is a far cry from a week ago when some other media outlets were crying that their recruiting class was dead. No, it was always building towards this. And that last visit weekend really started to build the momentum for Kalen DeBoer and the Husky staff. We can talk about some of these guys individually. I mean, we don't need to go through all of them, but Huff, I remember a conversation we had over the weekend. I think it was in the IMG Legacy Hotel. What what a facility there. But mm -hmm. I, I said, uh, someone asked me for a non-blue blood college football playoff dark horse, and I threw out Washington. Just said saw Michael Penix at the Elite 11 Finals. And I think you kind of agreed with me, but your point was – it has to be a big year for Washington on the recruiting trail because this is the year for them on the football field, right? They're going to lose a ton of guys here after the 2023 season. So they need to capitalize on what they did in 2022 and ride the momentum. Is, is that correct? It is. And it's very similar to their 2016 season in which they made the college football playoff for the last time. In fact, it was the last time Pac-12 school had made the playoff. After that season, they lost Buda Baker. They lost John Ross. They lost uh, Sidney Jones. They lost Kevin King. They lost so many of their key parts uh, of guys and you know, uh, other players that were a key part of them making that playoff. So you fast forward to 2023, Michael Penix is back. You've got Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunze back. You've got Braylon Trice, uh, ZTF. They have all this talent, but these are guys that turned the NFL down a year ago to come back this fall to give Washington that chance to return into the playoffs. So there's going to be a lot of open spots. The difference between now and after that 2016 season is there's the portal. You now have the portal to make it a quicker fix, but you're also going to have a lot of spots opening up. So Washington is trying to fill a lot of those spots with guys that are in the 2024 recruiting class uh, with their 2023 class. They have some guys that are coming up, but there's also the opportunity to make a quicker fix. And you saw that in year one of Kalen DeBoer with getting Michael Penix involved in the offense as quickly as they did, it allowed from a four-win team to become an 11-win team. So this is their big year on the field. It's their big year to really capture momentum after the 2022 season and now with the potentially big 23 season to capture the hearts of these recruits with a lot of these coaches that, you know, they came on last January. So they haven't had the chance to build the relationship with a lot of the guys in the 23 class. So they turned their attention to 24. So now the 2024 class has the potential to be a big class 
which is crazy when you consider a week ago, there was only one commitment, <laughs> but now they're building and they're starting to get that momentum. And if the season becomes what Washington thinks it's going to become, then by December, we could be talking about a top 20 recruiting class for the Huskies. Right. We should point out in the 2023 cycle, Washington finished 26th overall. They had some fireworks down the stretch. Washington going to open up this season against Boise State at home. They go to Michigan State week three, a few games after that by then they uh, host Oregon. I think all eyes will be on that in the middle of October. Huff, the one commit I did want to ask you about, because I love talking about quarterbacks, and I actually just did watch this guy. Uh, is it Demarcus Davis or? Yeah, or Marmar as he goes by, which is a little easier to say. What, what do we need to know about him? Because I was doing some digging. This is a kid as a sophomore backed up Malik Murphy at Sarah High School uh, transferred, had a big year, looked like he was going to end up maybe at a, a group of five program and, and then Washington, Arizona get involved. So he commits. That is their arm of the future. It's important. You mentioned EJ decommitting. They took Austin Mack originally in the 2024 cycle. He reclassifies to 2023. So what do we need to know about Marmar? Is that, did I, did I get that right? Yeah, you, you got it right. It's Marmar. You know, I remember seeing him in January of 2021, uh, at a seven on seven tour, it might've been February. It, it was during that weird COVID year. He was a freshman, uh, playing on the seven on seven circuit. There was a guy who was a couple years older than him. That was back when COVID had hit. So a lot of these teams had senior quarterbacks playing, trying to get that last look. And he was a freshman. I remember talking to his seven on seven coach, Rob Bourne. And he said, Hey, you know, this kid's going to remind a lot of people of CJ Stroud. It's kind of a, you know, very similar body type. And I'm like, okay, let's pump the brakes a little bit there, Rob. But you, you, know, you, you put on the tape and that's like the body comp comparison for sure. Very much so. And they were both from, you know, Ranch Cucamonga, uh, like CJ da uh, Davis was at, I think he was at Upland at the time and ended up transferring to Etiwanda ultimately. But you could see some flashes from him then. Then he comes into the Elite 11 back in, in March in Southern California. And, and I think Greg Biggins wrote it that there is a very similar path here to Aiden Childs, who was kind of an unremarkable name uh, in terms of People weren't talking about him much. He was overshadowed when I mean, it was at Los Alamitos. He left because they had a guy named Malachi Nelson. And then the rival high school, the Downey High School, was Warren High School. They had a quarterback named Nico Yamaliava. So Demarcus was a little bit overshadowed by some names. But that spring of his junior year, he started to trend upwards, went to the national preps camp in April, or I'm sorry, in May in Southern California, was the quarterback MVP. And much like Aiden Childs, Oregon State factored into his recruitment. He went on his official visit to Oregon State, also visited Arizona, but Washington got that much-needed last visit. And, yeah, even with Austin Mack reclassifying with DJ Camino on decommitting, after this season, Washington's only going to have two quarterbacks on scholarship in the program right now because Michael Penix is gone. They have Dylan Morris, who started in 20 and 21. They have Austin Mack, so they needed to get at least one quarterback in this class. And they were offering Davis, even when Camino was committed, they were hoping to bring two prep quarterbacks in because of depth. So he's going to come in and almost, you know, surely be on the three deep, assuming that Washington doesn't get somebody out of the portal. But this is an upside play. This is a guy that you are hoping beyond hope. He does not have to see the field in 2024. But by 2026, if Austin Mack becomes the quarterback that we think he can become, if Dylan Morris, you know, does what we saw in high school and becomes the starter again, your hope is that Davis doesn't have to be the starter for a couple of years and he gets some time to develop under Kalen DeBoer. You know, we'll assume Ryan Grubb is still going to be there, but he was one of the hottest offensive coordinators. But this is a nice long-term play and a great guy to get 
coming off a year where you brought in a top 10 quarterback, as we've seen, there's some blue bloods that can bring in an elite quarterback and get another one the next year. There's other schools that if they bring in an elite quarterback, they're going to have a hard time recruiting a good quarterback for at least two classes. One other guy I wanted to ask you about, and I actually texted you about him, uh, Justice Williams, wide receiver out of Oaks Christian. He also was one of the guys that was in this flurry of commitments, big framed wide receiver. You said his dad played in the league. Am I, am I right on that? He did. His father, Roland was an NFL tight end played for the Raiders. Uh, he's been a big part of Oaks Christian, you know, one of the assistant coaches there. And, you know, justice is not as thick as his dad is, but he's a little taller than his pops. And dad's got some NFL bloodline. Syracuse is where he plays. So Syracuse is trying to make a late push for justice, but the Huskies had seemingly been in the lead really since you go back to January. He took an unofficial visit up there uh, during their junior day back in January and came up and played in a seven on seven tournament in Seattle. And they had kind of a mini junior day for a couple of Southern Californians. And almost from that moment in, Jan uh, in January, the Huskies were, were in the mix, but Syracuse got involved, Miami got involved, some other schools. So the Huskies kind of had to sit and wait and see what was going to happen with those visits but again we go back to it and it's not unlike the old days and where you know that last weekend in january or the last week in december for official visits was the last visit that those kids had to, for the context before they decided on signing day now that last weekend in january or i'm sorry in june too many months with some jays that last <laughs> weekend in june has become such a crucial month the huskies got him for that last weekend got his commitment they've had success at Oaks Christian in recent years, Oaks Christian has had a number of players go on to the league. Kayvon Thibodeau, Dak Charbonnet most recently. This is a great pickup from a kid from a great program with NFL bloodlines. And I think he's, you know, much like Davis, this is a kid that in 25 and 26, you know, is going to have an opportunity. The Huskies receiver room is going to take a hit this year with Adunze and McMillan graduating, but they recruited well up at the position in 2023 and now their 2024 class is off to a good start this is a guy that could see some playing time as a true freshman given some of the graduation losses that they're expected to have this offseason i'll say this about justice williams i had a power five staffer at an unnamed school tell me that hey this is before he committed to washington they said this kid's going to go to washington catch a ton of passes and go on to the nfl and then he committed to the huskies like the next day so i thought that was uh that was pretty funny. Huff, you're getting the June and July all mixed up. Can you, can, can you remind listeners that like 10 years ago, the summer months, there was zero commitments. It was like college camps and it was like the easiest breeze. I mean, everyone had vacation oh. and now it's the complete opposite. It, you know, we, we used to be, and you remember those days where the opening finals, whether it was in Beaverton or whether it was in uh, Frisco, Texas, that usually coincided with the 4th of July, and you're like, hey, just get me to July 2nd or 3rd. The opening's done. I go home on the 4th of July. I'm barbecuing. I'm going to the lake, the beach, the river, wherever it is. I got nothing going on the whole month of <laughs> July. Maybe there'd be one or two guys that would commit at the opening finals. Maybe. But the only guys that were committed by this time were quarterbacks, and July was a cake month. Now you're just like, okay, let's get to August where high school football seasons are starting. College football seasons are starting for practices. There's no dead period. I'm sorry. There, there's no business because there is the dead period. Then we can breathe in August. By the time we get to August, we're just like resenting the fact, hey, football season's three weeks away. That means the <laughs> official visits start in three weeks. Uh, let's pivot to another uh, Pac-12 program, and then we'll get into the future 50, which was all – prospects from the class of 2025 so stanford up to number nine in the rankings steve wilt fong director 
of recruiting at 24-7 Sports. I think Monday morning he fired in three more crystal ball picks for uh, the Cardinal out there on the farm. One of those was for a top 247 point of attack player, um, drawing a blank on his – oh, Benedict Uma, mm-hmm. who looks like he could be a on, on the cover of uh, Muscle and Fitness. That guy is shredded. Um, He's Stanford. the month after I'm on it. <laughs> hey, you're looking good now, Thank Mr. You. Huffman. Um, you know Stanford. I mean, you're out there. This is a program that it seems – you know, you got to go back six, seven, eight years ago. They finished number 14 in the rankings under David Shaw. Obviously, the current landscape with with NIL, the transfer portal has made things more difficult. But to see them right now, number nine in the rankings. And I say that Tuesday at lunchtime because, again, a lot of commitments, a lot of moving parts. I think some people are probably going to leapfrog, leapfrog them in the next 24 hours. But this is a statement for first-year head coach Troy Taylor, uh, you know, you look at the class, I like it everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and they're recruiting nationally, guys from all different corners uh, of the country. Is there anyone you like on that list or just your thoughts on what they are doing? Yeah, I mean, if you you think back to when Stanford was kind of at their peak under David Shaw, and yes, a lot of those guys that early on were Jim Harbaugh recruits, but then David Shaw sustained that program really up until – you know, about the 2018 season, and then it kind of went sideways. They still ended up with the top class in the Pac-12, believe it or not, in 2022. David Bailey, who was an instant impact guy at Stanford. I know we at 24-7 loved him, uh, but they were only getting one guy like David Bailey, where, you know, seven, eight years ago, they were getting multiple guys like David Bailey. So in this class, you, you, there isn't a David Bailey committed yet. There is his former teammate, Elijah Brown, Elite 11 quarterback who's committed, but the two guys that I just love are Dylan Stevenson, who I know you're plenty familiar with down at Columbus High School, Miami, and then Naki Tuakoi out of Fremont High School in Oakland, not far from Stanford, two edge rushers. What made Stanford really formidable and dangerous during the kind of the peak of David Shaw was just how physical they were up front. They had great offensive line, but they had a great front seven. Guys like Shane Scove, guys like Trent Murphy, uh, David Perry, guys that were just monsters defensively and Stanford got away from that these last couple of years they got away from that on the offensive line they got away from that on the front seven so how do they remedy that well they go get some really good physical pass rushers they get some really good physical offensive linemen so Dylan Stevenson and Naki Tuakoi are two of their better commitments right now they're two highest rated defensive commitments and then on the offensive line they have Justin Taunu'u uh, they've had Isaiah Garcia, who's the number one player in Utah, in for an official visit this weekend. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, they're trending right now for Benedict Duma. Uh, they had Zyron Brown, Khalil House, that they're both, you know, doing really well with. So this class could end up being made for, for an offensive fireworks type of head coach like Troy Taylor is. He knows that to win, you've got to have the dudes in the trenches on the offensive line and the defensive front seven. And right now, Stanford's trending that way. Yeah, as you said, they're, you know, with the amount of commitments they have, there are going to be schools that leapfrog them. But if you're a Stanford fan, you've got to be giddy at the fact. I mean, there were years I was where Stanford didn't even offer 25 guys. They were very particular <laughs> in how many players that they offered. And they've got 24 before the end of June. And, you know, they're never going to be a school that's going to survive on the portal. We looked at, we saw what Lincoln Riley did using the portal to his advantage in his first year at USC. We saw what Dan Lanning did with the portal in his first year at Oregon. We saw what Kalen DeBoer did. Stanford doesn't have that luxury to do that. They got, I think, two players out of the portal this year, one being Justin Lamson, uh, who's originally from Sacramento, where Troy Taylor's from. 
who transferred from Syracuse, but their heavy lifting is going to have to be with high school recruits. So they came out of the gates firing and it's refreshing to see Stanford not being just, you know, picky and only offering a few, you know, they're offering guys and it's kind of, Hey, let's get you offered. Let's get you committed. And then let's make sure everything is on track to get you admitted into the school, because that's the other thing that Stanford deals with that not many other colleges deal with. They've got to get guys admitted into Stanford, not by NCAA minimums, but by Stanford minimums. So Stanford's been very aggressive out of the gate. I love what they're doing, you know, to get a, a flagship recruit in Elijah Brown, who comes from a top program, who's a top 247 quarterback, a top player at a premier high school program. And then you fill it up with a bunch of guys that are ready, that are on the cusp of being, you know, top 200 type players. And I think that Troy Taylor has answered any question. I mean, if you know anything about the landscape of California, as somebody who got into Cal State schools and somebody who got into UC schools, Cal State schools aren't the most difficult schools to get into. Stanford is very difficult. He went from Sacramento State, which had much looser academic restrictions at an FCS program, to now Stanford. And he has answered any questions he may have, that may have existed about can he make the jump from an FCS program to a Power Five? I'm, again, I'm not going to compare him to Jim Harbaugh, but... This is eerily reminiscent of when Stanford hired Jim Harbaugh from an FCS program, a non-scholarship FCS program, mind you, from the University of San Diego after the 2006 season. And he was able to build that program to what we knew Stanford to be for about a dozen years. Troy Taylor making a very similar type of move in year one. And if you're a Stanford fan, get to those games, folks. <laughs> there, there might be some guys that are worth watching these next couple of years. I remember when the summer months – when you talk Stanford recruiting, it was, hey, have you gone through the application process and have you been admitted? Like that was the thing when you talk Stanford recruiting in June and July. I need a shirt that says, I remember that's when Stanford <laughs> recruiting was, when it was the admissions process. Uh, you didn't even mention Elijah Brown, elite 11 quarterback at Matter Day. He's talked about a ton on, on this podcast. And, you know, an interesting nugget that I kind of came across myself I think this was a, a product of uh, kind of our, our war room and, and stacking the quarterbacks. You know, there's only five programs over the past three years that have had two quarterbacks selected in the NFL draft. So the past three NFL drafts, only five programs have had two guys selected. It's Alabama, Florida, Ohio State, BYU, and Stanford. You know, they, they churn out the talent at the position. And what's been remarkable, too, is if you even you know look back before that, you had, obviously, Andrew Luck. I mean, that was 12 years ago, but he was drafted. You had uh, Kevin Hogan, who was drafted, won three Pac-12 titles. So, you know, one thing that's been, if you can be the starting quarterback at Stanford, it's a tragedy. Uh, we talked about this with Elite 11, with, you know, how phenomenal Davis Mills looked at the Elite 11, and then injuries kind of derailed him. Uh, but he ended up being a two-year starter in the NFL. So Stanford has had... Really good quarterback talent. And again, you know, Andrew Luck is he's a unicorn. Okay, let's just call him what he is. He was a unicorn coming out of high school. He was a unicorn in college. He was a unicorn in the NFL. Elijah Brown is not Andrew Luck from a pure talent standpoint. But what Elijah Brown does is he wins on Friday nights. His only loss was a second half collapse that the defense had against St. John Bosco. Otherwise, he'd be 29-0 as a starter with a couple of state titles there. So the guy is a winner. But this is as significant a recruiting victory for Troy Taylor as Andrew Luck was in Jim Harbaugh's first full recruiting class. He inherited Kellen Kilsgaard, uh, who signed to the 2007 class. Uh, but then that first recruiting class that he got was Andrew Luck. Well, Troy Taylor inherits um, 
Miles Jackson, who had already come in. In fact, when Miles Jackson came in, I don't even think Stanford had a coach. I think it was in that interim between David Shaw and Troy Taylor. But then he goes and gets an Elijah Brown. More importantly, USC and UCLA were both recruiting Elijah Brown. So he beats the two LA brethren for him. That's a signature recruit. And if Elijah Brown can have the similar success that he had at modern day when he gets to Stanford, then maybe Stanford has their resurgence much quicker. But, you know, take out the talent part of it because Andrew Luck was so elite. But from a perception standpoint, what it means to the Stanford program, Elijah Brown may be the most significant commit to Stanford since Andrew Luck was in 2007. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. You are listening to the 24-7 Sports College Football Recruiting Podcast. If you guys like the show, please make sure to subscribe. Like keeps the lights on here. All right, Huff, let's get into Under Armour's Future 50 Camp. I uh I don't have much of a script here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go off the wall, off, put you on the spot. Your biggest takeaway coming out of this event, I guess we should preface it like this. In years past, Under Armour's Future 50 would be the top rising seniors, but with uh, all these commitments, with all the official visits, Under Armour made the decision that, hey, we're not going to invite the rising seniors. We're going to invite the top rising juniors. I think it was a great decision. So we, it was, I think the final count was 52 of the top prospects in the class of 2025. I mean, these are all national names. You're talking about guys inside the top 247, guys inside the top 100. They went through a workout on Saturday morning. Justin Jefferson was there, Kyle Hamilton, both those NFL players, Under Armour athletes kind of coaching the guys up. They had a, I don't know what they did for a few hours, but then they returned to the field a few hours later, played a 20-minute, quote-unquote, seven-on-seven game. It was kind of choppy at times, and they did a final big man challenge. So, Give me just your initial takeaway besides it being extremely hot in Bradenton, Florida. And I'll tell you this right now. I'm in Fort Lauderdale. It is way hotter. Okay. I had to walk my dog at like 7 a.m. because uh, it is it is scorching out. So your, your big takeaway. Hey, move that event to Redondo Union High School or somewhere in Southern California, and you might have the best event that exists. But from a pure talent standpoint, I mean, it was phenomenal. Like you said, 52 of the top players, 50 of the 52 guys are in our top 247 for 2025. One of the guys was a composite four-star, and then another is probably going to be in a conversation. So we already knew it was a talented group, but I'm, like you, man, I, I was thrilled to see 52 top 2025s there. And, you know, we've talked about this on various shows. We've talked about this on our conversations, on our phone calls, that the 2024 class, you know, doesn't maybe have elite star power. But I am excited to watch this 2025 class over these next two years because there is talent. The offensive line group is going to be phenomenal. I mean, our number one player, he wasn't there, but that's David Sanders. But you had Micah DeBose, you had Solomon Thomas, you had Michael Fasusi kind of having, you know, his big coming out party. Uh, I talked to him really quick about his recruiting. I said, you know, I don't know how much football. And then you went and found out just how new to football he is. And he ended up being our alpha. And you look at what an offensive tackle is designed to be, and that's what Michael Fasusi is. And it's going to be fun to watch him blossom. You know, when you have DeCorian Moore and Ryan Williams there, they're a little banged up. It allowed for Jamie French to come out and have, you know, a really big day. Uh, only four quarterbacks there after watching, you know, 18 quarterbacks the week <laughs> before in the 24 class. It was a little bit different. It was easier to focus on those four quarterbacks. But Akili Smith, Antoine Hill, K.J. Lacey, and then the probably the top quarterback 
quarterback from beginning to end in Ryan Montgomery. Uh, talent there. So I think we're seeing it's going to be a phenomenal receiver group. It's going to be a phenomenal offensive line group, which is tackles. And then, you know, after Fasusi, my favorite lineman, I, I think you and I both agree that SJ Alofatali from Bishop Gorman may be the best pure center in the country. He's one of four Division I offensive linemen at Bishop Gorman. And here's the scary part. All four of those guys are 2025. So Gorman gets all those guys back next year. They have Micah Alejado, who's won a couple of state titles. And we were talking to, to, to Douglas Utu, who was also there. He said that their offensive line, on a team that had the number one receiver in the country with Zachariah Branch, the offensive line was named the offensive MVP. And two of those guys were there in Utu and SJ. And the offensive line group across the board was outstanding. I thought the defensive line group was good. Uh, loved what I saw from Jamie French, um, Harlan Berry, Justice Terry, all those guys. I, I, I love this event. And I hope that they continue to make this a underclass heavy event in future years. Just move it to uh, a non-visit weekend if you guys can. <laughs> yes. Can. Uh, you said Bishop Gorman. Max Preps just came out with their preseason rankings of the high schools. Bishop Gorman, number two. Matter Day, number one. St. John Bosco, three. IMG, four. Miami Central, five. We don't need to get into that, but I, I did think that was an interesting nugget. Uh, I'm glad you went through a bunch of pronunciations for me because I was going to struggle. Let's start with Michael Fasusi. You mentioned him being the alpha dog. I think I kind of... Uh, I don't know, forced you guys into making him the alpha dog, but I, I loved oh. him. And, and I think the reason is we talk about the 2024 cycle, it being down a down year for tackles, right? We do not see these premium bodies. We're still trying to find them. And then you show up at IMG and you see this Michael Fasusi guy and his arms are so long that they're almost down to his knees. And I'm not even kidding. He has to walk around kind of cross-armed at times just to hold on to those big, uh, those big vines and uh, he is new to football. I had no idea until I talked to him at the end, originally born in Nigeria, moved to the United States three years ago. He, I asked him if he played other sports. He said that he plays soccer still. Uh, and I was like, okay, like what position goalkeeper? And he's like, no, no, no. I play uh, <laughs> center back and, and, and striker. And I was a bit taken back, but man, he was impressive to watch. It, it was a strong offensive line group. And, there was some some committed prospects there. You, you mentioned uh, who did, who did you mention? Uh, Justice Terry, uh, mm -hmm. the the you know he's in the top thirty two for us right now. I thought he was the best defensive lineman. And I mean, if you had to pick a guy that was going to Georgia, it was probably Justice Terry, a guy from <laughs> right there in the Peach State. He was impressive. Um, uh, on Fasusi, did you interview – were you the one that talked to him? Do you know what's going on with his recruitment? Yeah, and that, that was why it was so fascinating. When, when you went and talked to him and got further context, you know, the, the first thing he talked about on his official visits was this West Coast trip that he had made, and he had gone and visited Cal. He visited Oregon, Oregon State, USC, and San Diego State. And not surprisingly, Oregon made a big impression on him, and he said of all the visits he made to the West Coast – Oregon was the one that he enjoyed the most. And then he's talking about visiting Florida and Oklahoma and LSU, but he didn't really talk much of the Texas schools. And so that's what made me think maybe he's, you know, newer to football, maybe he's new to Texas. And so when you uh, talked to him and found out, you know, what his background was, it made sense. And, you know, he got out to visit West coast, but I, I have a feeling as the film from this event starts getting out and these coaches get their UEC reports. He's going to have options from all over the country. And those in-state schools in Texas are going to be a huge presence 
in his recruiting. He was the one guy that as I was watching the early morning drills in the first session, uh, Torian Wilson, the offensive line coach for Under Armour, you could just listen to him and he was he, he doesn't criticize or critique what he kept doing. He says, nice play, nice fan, nice fan, great flexibility. I mean, you could just see that his own wheels were turning like, oh my gosh, this kid is something special. And, you know, he's a little bit different than Manasseh Etete, who is in the 2024 class, who came to the U.S. to play basketball from Congo, only played for a year. But one of the things with Fasusi is being so new to the game is there's not a lot of bad habits there. There is a lot of stuff that you can work with. He's kind of a blank canvas, but he was the guy that after the session was done, when everybody ran over to get water, he's pulling the coaches aside and asking, you know, how do I do this? What should I do when I do this? And you can see those coaches coaching him during the water breaks. Now, I would have said, go get the water because of how hot it was. But Fasusi wanted to learn, and he was kind of a sponge. And you would see him use that technique that he was being taught between, you know, between drills, use it the next time. And so that's why he's just oozing that upside and really put himself on the map on a national scale. You look at the flexibility, you look at the band, you look at the length, you look at the frame, you look at his ability and desire to learn. And you just got to be sitting there saying, oh, my gosh, what's he going to look like in January of 2025 as he's getting ready to enroll at college? You said that his recruiting stock's only going to go up. I think a lot of fans and, and listeners, they, you know, how do you guys decipher anything from these these camps? It's just shirts and shorts. And uh, I'll, I'll counter with this. Miami offered him, I think, literally that night once they saw some <laughs> of the footage of Michael Fasusi running around. Let's circle back on the quarterbacks. Um, you, you said a name where I'm sure it kind of rung in some people's heads and everyone's focused on the 2024 cycle for good reason. But Achilles Smith... He's got a son. We're talking about the former first-round pick, uh, Achilles Smith Jr., who might have been the tallest quarterback there. I mean, he is uh, – they said he was 6'5", but he, I thought he was 6'6", towering over me when I talked to him. Uh, give us a little introduction on him because I know he's on the West Coast. So, you know, he's a kid that we've been hearing about for a couple of years, and, you know, it's always easy when you're a junior – to and by name because then we know that you really are we don't have to ask questions hey is he related to no we know he's related to Achilles <laughs> Smith and you know I'm, I'm old I was in college when Achilles Smith was in college so I'm, I'm of that old generation where in the 90s you know you couldn't be 5'11 there would a Bryce Young would never have gone number one in the draft Bryce Young might not have been recruited that much back in those days you were 6'3 6'4 and you were first round pick and with you know with Pops he was a pro baseball player, ended up going to a junior college after his pro baseball career fizzled out, went to Oregon and was a top three pick. So we've been hearing about Akili Jr. for a couple of years, and I got to see him at the Elite 11 Regional back in May in Eugene, or I guess it was late April. And then you see him this weekend, and it's when you see him around other quarterbacks that you realize just how big he is. And it was watching him walking with his dad that you realize how big he is because Akili Sr. was not small. And he looks small compared, which every dad, you know, dreads their kid outgrowing him because you always have that one thing over him. But with, with Akili, he's now at Lincoln High School. He had played at Vista Marietta. Now he's at Lincoln High School where his dad starred. And Lincoln just lost Roger Robinson, a four-star running back who went on to Georgia, 
they ran the ball, they ran the ball, they ran the ball, but they want to throw the ball. And now Keeley's going to be coming in with the, the offseason that he's had and really taking his game to another level, whether it was at the Under Armour in L.A., whether it was the Elite 11 Regional, whether it was this last weekend, you're seeing him continue to progress and get better and better and better. And he'll be in the conversation for the top quarterback in the West in the 2025 class. I think he's already in that discussion right now uh, with guys like TJ Latif. Um, I'm sure I'm completely forgetting about Houston, Houston Longstreet. Uh, Houston Longstreet, yeah there, yeah, there you go. So both, all three of those guys are top 100 quarterbacks, and they're all going to be in situations where, you know, Corona Centennial, Lincoln, and uh, Orange Lutheran are all going to have seasons these next couple of years that could have this discussion continuing to go on. But Akili, just from, you know, you look at him from a pure physical standpoint, there is a lot to like. And I thought he had some flashes in the seven-on-seven seven that you just kind of went going, okay, you know, maybe Akili Sr., isn't the best quarterback in the family in a couple of years from now that tune could be changing handicap the recruitment for us is this an oregon slam dunk you know it would seem likely that given the history and given the legacy given that achilles still proudly i mean he was wearing his oregon gear there on saturday uh but he said florida and michigan were both in the top three right now he said it's kind of a loose unofficial top three but Oregon, Michigan, and Florida were the top three. And then he had two kind of wild cards in there. But when you look at it from afar, it makes a little sense. He says San Diego State being the hometown school. Heck, by the time Achilles signs to play in college, San Diego State might be a Pac-12 program. And Fresno State. And why would Fresno State be in there? Well, the head coach at Fresno State is Jeff Tedford, who was Achilles Sr.'s offensive coordinator at University of Oregon, Jeff Tedford. So Fresno State, San Diego State may be a little bit more of a long shot. I think Oregon is going to be a presence and a factor in his recruitment all the way for obvious reasons. Florida with Ryan O'Hara, who's a West Coast guy himself, he's recruiting. Jim Harbaugh obviously has a long history of quarterback development, being in the NFL. We talked about Andrew Luck. You know, there, there's Andrew Luck. There's other players that he's had. Uh, but, I mean, it would be hard to pick against the Ducks given everything that that we know about how much Oregon is a factor in his recruitment, how much Achilles Sr. still loves his Ducks. But, you know, he's made it very clear he's not going to push his alma mater on his son. He's going to let him make that decision. And yet here he is in his unofficial top three. He's got the Ducks right there in that top three. Let's talk about another quarterback, uh, a name I think everyone needs to get familiar with. And we've we've discussed him on these airwaves in the past. K.J. Lacey, the Texas commit out of Sarah Land High School in Alabama. This was my second live exposure point to K.J. Lacey. You mentioned the, the, the name Bryce Young a little bit uh, a while ago when we were discussing Achille. Um, I think the comp – makes sense from a, a, a physical standpoint. Uh, I know Steve Sarkeesian has told KJ Lacey, hey, you know, you remind me of Bryce Young. I thought KJ had the best morning session. He kind of fell apart in that seven-on-seven game through, through a pair of interceptions. Uh, he did rebound with a touchdown. I mean, you can read into that game however you want. I, I don't know how competitive it, it really was, but I, I thought it was a good day for KJ Lacey as a short-to-intermediate passer, He's impressive, um, but he is on the smaller side. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sark and AJ Miller kind of have a type, don't they? I mean, it's kind of clear what what they're looking for, but you know, you can't really say that when they signed Arch Manning a year ago, who looks <laughs> nothing like 
Bryce Young and KJ Lacey. But when, when you you know we watch KJ Lacey, he didn't lack for confidence. It wasn't arrogance, it wasn't cockiness, but it was he threw the interception, just kind of like you know did the damn. I shouldn't have done that. Not like falling apart, not blaming his team, and then he comes back and he tries to make you know very similar throws. He doesn't really force the ball into really bad spots. He actually both of his interceptions were just really good plays by the linebacker. Christian Jones made a phenomenal adjustment to snag one of them. And, but, but I, I like the fact that he's willing to distribute the ball and get it out and, and go through it. And one thing that you know you mentioned, you can read into it how you will with the seven on seven, you know, we're used to seeing guys like at OT seven the week before where these guys have been played together every weekend for six months this particular seven on seven, the teams were kind of picked that afternoon and you were put on a team. And so there was no time to really develop chemistry, no time to really develop any timing with those receivers. And the quarterbacks were rotating every series. And so he had some kind of wow throws early on, had the two picks, but then, like I said, he bounced back with the touchdown. But I, what I liked about him, you know, it, it was talking with him the day before too. And he said, Hey, I wanted to commit early because I need to get guys in this recruiting class. I know that it's my responsibility as a quarterback to help make this class strong. And, you know, I've gone out there and I've talked with Arch and I've talked with Quinn and, you know, got, you know, he, he wants to learn. We talked about Fasusi wanted to be a sponge and you could tell with KJ Lacey, this is a guy that wants to keep learning and he, he's a sponge. And, you know, he, in high school games, it's probably easy to dominate, but when you're out there with a bunch of guys you maybe don't know, and, you know, you, you try to be an alpha, a lot of guys fail at it, but you, you could still see that, those receivers that were with him were really flocking to him. They were coming up between plays and between series and he's sitting there saying, Hey, let's run this. And so, you know, he's, he's already kind of got that alpha personality and you know what he maybe lacks in ideal size and, and dimensions, you know, he makes up for with a little bit more of that it factor that was pretty evident in very, you know, in a very short context. Any other quarterbacks you want to hit on? I, I, I would like to pivot to Harlem Barry who, uh, ran or was the fastest man at the competition, went 4-3-7 in the 40-yard dash. I think that was initially reported as 4-2-8, but 4-3-7 topped what Dylan Edwards did last year at the event. I think he was 4-3-9 in the 40-yard dash. I don't know if you got a chance to talk with Harlan Berry, a kid from the state of Louisiana, uh, state champ in the 100-meter dash, so not surprising he was the fastest guy there. Uh, he certainly made some headlines, someone that LSU's fighting for, Oklahoma's fighting for. I think he mentioned Texas as well when I was talking to him. Uh, anyone else you want to kind of touch on before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I like what we saw from Harlan Berry. He's not just a guy that is a tester, but he's a guy that can actually play the game. It's just good to see Louisiana finally producing some fast, speedy backs. It feels like that doesn't happen, except every year. <laughs> uh, but you know, the, the guy that I was probably the most thrilled with, and he – he easily was the most fascinating interview on Friday, but that's Dallas Wilson. And, oh you know, what, what makes him so interesting is he committed to Oregon back in January. And when he started talking to him at Media Day, he's like, yeah, so I have a top three right now of uh, uh, UCF, uh, of Clemson, and Oregon. And he went on and on and talked about his top three until somebody finally asked him, like, are, are you still committed to Oregon? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm still committed to Oregon. That commitment seems to be paper thin given how much he talked about UCF and how much he talked about Clemson. But I, I thought he was another guy that, you know, other than a, a, a kind of a bad drop in the seven on seven, he looked really good in the morning and he looked really good in the afternoon. Uh, aside from that, just a physical receiver, kind of that, that, that style of receiver that, you know, is that bigger, 
physical type that's got two years to continue to get stronger. Uh, and so, you know, he made plays on the field, but he also was by far my favorite interview, just given the fact that he waxed glowingly about all these schools and then almost had to be reminded that he was an Oregon commitment. So uh, I think that one's going to have a lot of twists and turns in the recruitment. <laughs> But given his ability as a receiver, you can see why there's going to be a ton of schools trying to pursue him. Yeah, Dallas Wilson, um, man, he is going to be one to follow. Like you said, committed already to Oregon. He committed back in January. I saw him the following weekend at a seven-on-seven tournament. I said, hey, Dallas, you know what do you like about Oregon? He goes, I've never been to Oregon before. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like <laughs> The odds of this sticking are, are probably slim. And you're right, Huffman. He probably should have made our, our next five category. It was hard to overlook the drop, which resulted in an interception. But he ended up scoring touchdowns on three consecutive drives. He's a guy for us. I think he's right now like number 28 nationally, 6'3 180 pounds, 4'5'7 on the lasers, 30-inch vertical, 30-inch uh, vertical, 111 broad. He is the real deal. Everyone's going to be pursuing him. I'm just going to warn any fan base hoping to get involved with Dallas Wilson, that one is going to be full of twists and turns. I mean, heck, I went to his spring jamboree, and he was not dressed out. And I was talking to the coaches. They're like, yeah, he's got a track meet this week in the state track meet. And Well, I go and look at the track results, and Dallas Wilson was not on any of the heat sheets. So it's just <laughs> kind of – he's going to be a fun one. And that is a, that is a peak I-4 corridor uh, recruitment. Huff, what, else, what, what do you got going on this weekend? Are, are you – Besides back. the commitments, take us through the July 4th plans. Back, back on the road again. I know you're – Oh, yeah, you're going to Hawaii. Uh, I, I, it's, it's a work trip. I got to make sure that people know that this is not for pleasure. This is for, for work. And on Sunday – or I'm sorry, Saturday, the, the final – uh, underclass report, ESPN underclassman report event of the spring. You know, we've had Elite 11s. We've had the ESPN and the Under Armour camps. The very last one takes us to Maui. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a long camp, nine hours long camp. But nobody would be feeling bad for Blair and Hulu and I because we will be in Maui for that event. We come home. Last year, I was in kind of a weird position in that I fly Alaska Airlines. That's my, my airline of choice. But their planes, some of their newer ones, weren't built for Wi-Fi just yet. So as I'm sitting on the tarmac to fly out the day before, I'm panicking. I'm texting Greg Biggins and Blair. I'm like, hey, there's a bunch of guys that might be committing while I'm over the Pacific Ocean with no Wi-Fi. <laughs> Fortunately, there was Wi-Fi. I had six guys commit during that flight, landed. Riley Williams announced his commitment, and like five more guys announced. This year, I'm thinking there's more guys that are going to wait till the 4th of July so I can get through this weekend Worked really hard in Maui at this last event. We saw Preston Tamua, who's our number one player in Hawaii, a top 247 member. We saw him a year ago. He had an offer from Northern Arizona. After that event, Blair made a push to get him into the top 247, make him a four-star. Now he's got all these SEC schools, all these Big Ten schools in his final list. So this camp, you know, is proven in, in just one year to crank out some players. So please, people, understand how gracious we are giving up our time to go spend this time in Maui this weekend. Then things finally slow down. Well, I'm going to say this, Huff. I mean, not all of us are fortunate enough to have the option to fly Hawaii Hawaiian Air. Is that what you said? Uh, Alaska Air to Hawaii, but hey, they put the Eskimo. They give them a nice little lay on the on the plane, so it's kind of like Hawaiian Airlines, but the Alaska version of it. Okay. And then final thing, I'm getting you. I'm, I'm going to circle back. Look at this. I'm a pro podcaster. Washington. 
odds to make the college football playoff. Do you think that's a that's a good dark horse bet? Plus four thousand to win the whole thing. And I mean, their their schedule definitely makes a jump up. They get Utah at home this year. They have to go on the road to USC. They don't have Colorado on the schedule. Man, I think the Pac-12, as much as it takes a beating, the Pac-12 does a better job of any conference of beating each other up and knocking each other out. So I'm not, I just can't be convinced that Pac-12 school is going to be in the playoff because I think they kind of eat their own in that season every year. I'm not taking those odds. And it's not a Washington thing. It's more of a Pac-12 thing. Okay, well there you have it, Brandon Huffman. Make sure to follow him. What is what is the Twitter, Brandon underscore at, at Brandon Huffman? He will be doing his service, his duty in Hawaii as he kicks off the July Fourth weekend. Thank you guys for listening to the twenty four seven Sports College Football Recruiting Podcast. Hopefully, Cooper Patagna will be back in the co host seat here in the coming days. Big rankings release coming out. And like I said, commit central right now at twenty four seven Sports. I think there are three. Commitments set to be happen Saturday on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. I know Ricky Knight is one of them. I heard Jaquan McRoy might be another. He might be, I think there's some Oregon buzz there. So please stay tuned. Thanks again for listening, guys. We'll talk to you later.